Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way. This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent, creative risks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books, and I take a very analytical approach to art making, emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. I have a new book coming out this year, published by Coach House Books, which is my first book in five years and my first poetry book in seven years. It's called The National Gallery, and it contains a host of strange poems, including twisted elegies from my iPhone, uh, sonnets about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I got poems for my children, uh, a poem that campaigns to make me the poet laureate of hell, and all sorts of uh, strange you know, experiments. And if you go to jonathanball.com slash newbook, so again, that's jonathanball.com slash newbook, then you can read the nice things that people have to say uh, about the book. Uh, filmmaker Guy Madden has uh, some very nice things to say about it. It, uh, Giller Prize finalist Gary Barwin, uh, who wrote Yiddish for Pirates, uh, has some nice things to say about it. Uh, author professors Natalie Capel uh, and Daniel Scott Tisdall have some nice things to say. Uh, what I'll say is that it's called the National Gallery because the book is about what value art has today in our public lives and in our private lives and why we should or maybe why we should not create art. Uh, as writers, I think we sometimes have, to s- sometimes have to stop and ask the question, why write? Uh, so this book is my attempt to answer that question uh, by trying to turn what my poetry is inside out and do all sorts of things I've never done before in, in my poetry. Uh, so like I say, you can learn more about the National Gallery by going to jonathanball.com slash newbook. Uh, and there you'll see a form where you can enter your email address and when you do that, I'll email you my favorite poem from the book. So this is a poem that is otherwise you know, not available uh, until you know, the book comes out. You'll get a sneak peek. And then when we get closer to the book coming out, I'll send you a bunch of information on how to order the book in a way that gives you access to all sorts of bonuses. I'm going to be giving away free books uh, and all sorts of you know, really you know, special uh, bonus material uh, for people who pre-order um, the National Gallery. Uh, so if you go to jonathanball.com slash new book and enter your email, I'll tell you more about the National Gallery when you do that. Uh, so now let's move on to the episode. I'm here with S.M. Biko, also a.k.a. Sam uh, Biko. Uh, and uh, Sam is, you've written, you know, many things at this point. What would you call, call yourself, though? Do you call yourself a fancy oh. author? What God, you... I don't know. I just, yeah, as a catch-all term, especially when I'm at, like, a convention and I have to think quickly, I just say fantasy author. Sure, and, and Sam's first book was uh, The Lincoln Library, mm-hmm. um, a standalone fantasy novel, and then she's in the midst of, about to release the last installment of a uh, three-book like, fantasy right. trilogy. Yeah. You know, massive, you know, a trilogy, big, big old books. They're very large, yeah. And um, uh, but her current thing that I'm going to kind of focus on today is a web comic. Uh, Krampus is my boyfriend. So you can go to uh, if you go to jonathanball.com/slash/thirty-three. I'll have all sorts of you know links and information uh, about Sam Biko. But of course, Krampus is my boyfriend. Dot com is the actual home of the web comic. That's right. You can read you know for free online the web yeah. comic. Um, and then you know, sign up to, as I, I am uh, signed up to get. <laughs> yes, thank you, yeah, <laughs> subscriber. Uh, and you know, Sam has all sorts of other places online that I, again I'll link to. 
um, in the show notes uh, at writingtherongway.com or jonathanball.com slash 33. But uh, krampusismyboyfriend.com is where we get all of our Krampus information. And you're just about to release the first, uh, I'm holding like the proof that's falling apart here. Yeah. Just broke your proof. No, it was already. I've spoken to them about that. <laughs> but yeah, that's so, why it's a proof. So this is a the first installment of the... It's a 48-page... Uh... Yeah, well, that issue is. Uh, it comprises 41 pages of story. There's sure. just seven pages of extra in there because I really just wanted to just pump it up. But yeah. yeah, and then all this is available, uh, I guess say, like, I mean, you can buy it, Sam, of course. Yeah. But, uh, you can read it at campusmyboyfriend.com, and I kind of check, test it out uh, as you like. Yeah, so, I mean, basically the way this model works is... I have put it up online for free so that people can engage with it and I can kind of develop a following for it. Um, the purpose of creating a limited edition issue for it, just to start out, is also just to see what the reaction is going to be in person. So it's, it is important to kind of start out online for free, but when uh, someone like me, I'm a traditionally published author, but I attend comic book conventions and I do a lot of events where I hand sell and I interact directly with readers. Um, this is going to be an opportunity for me to see live what the response is going to be. So I have no idea because I am not a comic artist. I'm not a comic writer. And all of a sudden I decided I'm going to be those things. Uh, I was, I actually started out as an artist before I went into writing. I was in fine arts. I was determined that that's what I was going to do. I actually wanted to go into animation. But the program destroyed me within a year and kind of broke me in terms of, oh, is this what art is? Uh, and I hadn't met any of the current awesome people in the comic community like I know now. So I pivoted and I went into... Don't touch the table. Don't touch the table. Stop <laughs> touching so the table. This part, or maybe I'll keep it in. <laughs> it's but fine. Everybody touches the table that okay. this microphone's on. Which, it's hilarious to me because this is, is actually Sam's has the same microphone I know. As me. And I also do <laughs> podcasting. I, uh, I do it too, though. I'm well, the to worst. To be fair, like, it's not just, you know. Yeah. Um, but sorry. Uh, but anyway, so I have no idea how this is going to go because, yeah, I primarily write long form prose novels, which uh, compared to comics uh, are a lot easier, which sounds, again, like a lofty <laughs> thing to say to people who can't fit, who haven't written a book sort of thing. Um, but to me, yeah, it's way less intense than this was. And it was only 41 pages. So there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about that you kind of jumped to my first question, which is like, why give away the, the webcomic for yeah. free? Uh, which is, I actually have some more questions around that, but uh, you touched on a couple of things that I, one thing is like, can you explain a little bit as somebody who's getting more, f you know, fulling into uh, illustration or you mm -hmm. know, making this comic for yourself now, um, what you mean by it's harder than writing? Because I, I think it's true. Uh, and I hear Greg is a, Sam is also a common guest slash, you know, unofficial third co-host co <laughs> yeah. of the Super Pulp Science podcast, which is my favorite podcast. Oh, thanks. Uh, we just recorded this morning, actually. I was just saying, you haven't yeah. released a podcast for a while. Yeah, and we are back <laughs> as of this morning. Oh, so. that's great. But, yeah. I, but anyway, I love that podcast. But um, Greg Gree, who is on that podcast, is always uh, complaining about how, you know, Everyone thinks writing is so hard. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> Compared to illustrating. <laughs> I know. And, you know, they're both hard, I guess. But, like, I, I think there is a way in which, you know, you can write for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's kind of hard to just, like, sit there and draw for 10 minutes. Like, how long do you spend on one page? It's, it's about, it, yes, it's about 30 to 
50 hours a week. I would just, I would actually say that more than a page. And I have been saying a page, but the reality is I've been doing the work of about two and a half pages a week. But I'm still putting 30 to 50 hours into that. And the frustrating thing is when you're, when you become accustomed to your process and to finishing a novel start to finish, and you can get there so much quicker. You can engage with the story so much faster and the way that the plot is moving. You cannot do that with comics because you can write the script. You can certainly write the script from start to finish if you wanted to, and then you can see it all right in front of you. But when you are sitting down and you are going panel by panel, you have to slow everything down, which is hilarious because the comics medium is consumed so quickly inverse to how much time is put into it and for me I like I'm doing it all I'm hand drawing it Um, I am doing it all in Photoshop but I'm still sitting here with a giant tablet with my with my drawing hand and doing all that Um, and yeah it's just you really want to get to point B but you will be stuck at point A for months because that's just how it is well I mean I don't have any ability to draw anything whatsoever and I think a lot of people (laughs) like listening to this probably don't you know they're they're I theoretically more interested mm-hmm. in writing or mm-hmm. are writers more than maybe they might be illustrators but um, you know as a writer of course even if you have an illustrative talent you could you know, be writing scripts as you say that somebody mm-hmm. else could illustrate for example yep. and I think it's, 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 it's very important to kind of and of course if you can do both things or if you're teaming up with somebody you mm-hmm. could be say be doing webcomic mm-hmm. doing this kind of you know webcomic and also releasing print versions mm-hmm. um, and I think one thing that is hard to think about as a writer and that I've as I've been kind of studying comics with the eye to like writing comics more as I've been thinking a lot more about what's the difference in those mediums and like one thing that struck me with Krampus is I remember you complaining a while back on Facebook or something about how you draw on all these books yeah <laughs> like you said it why did I said this in a bookstore like that one character works in a bookstore and you're like why why and of course like you know when you're just writing like she's in a bookstore it's so fun it's like you know Olga works in a bookstore yeah blah 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 blah. there's a bunch of books behind her well that's really easy to quit you can write the sentence just like that fast right but like now you gotta draw each individual each individual book book. you gotta color them separate colors and you know yeah all of a sudden it's a nightmare (laughs) it is and I mean I had someone actually a comic artist who was like oh you'd be better served you know spend a couple of days drawing a ton of different backgrounds that you can just plop in but the reality is that um as you're creating a comic you're thinking about it as a film director every single panel is a frame and the where the characters are standing and the angles that you have on them they're all going to be different per panel so you're going to have to change the perspective of the backgrounds anyway and the setting so the reality is every time you're doing a panel there are some aspects that maybe you can pull out of other panels you've already drawn for example um these characters attend a private school and they have a crest like on their uniform. I'm just copying and pasting that crest so I don't have to keep drawing it a thousand times. Um, And I'm just adjusting it for whatever angle the character is standing at. There's little things like that where you can like make your life a little more efficient. But as far as backgrounds go, like it is, it is usually best practice, and although it sucks at the time, it makes you a better artist to draw and redraw things over and over again because you become better through repetition. So I just keep telling myself that as I'm grinding, and I'm like, ah, I hate this. But, yeah, I did that to myself. It's, it's, I think of it as similar in some ways, like you mentioned directing, but I think in some ways it's, it is similar to, like, filmmaking. Or, mm-hmm. or, or one of the things, and, and even in those practical considerations, like one of the things when I teach screenwriting is I try to, 
know, remind students, like, one thing you got to keep in mind is, like, people got to pay money for this stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you've got somebody just saying, oh, hi, how you doing? Oh, they're doing pretty good. Like, there's a level at which, like, it's not good dialogue. There's also a level at which it would cost thousands of dollars mm -hmm. to just shoot, like, an exchange of, like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. Yeah. But, you know, I'm a little sad today, I guess. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> You got to like just move past that stuff for story reasons, but also because it's like literally you can't afford, you know, $10,000 for a person to ask like what kind of coffee they want. Mm -hmm. You know, it's yeah. just like, it's, it's all these weird things you might not think about. Yeah. Oh yeah. Until for you sure. read in it. I, yeah. I, I look at this comic and you say that you, this is like your first comic you say, but I know it's not like I've got your, another comic. Right yes, here, I did Myth Fits and uh, it was... It was just very challenging uh, because I had to do it in a very short span of time, uh, and I—it's not my best. I—I <laughs> I look back on it and I'm like, no, because there wasn't actually—I didn't do a lot of development beforehand. Um, it was just kind of like we have to get it done, so I guess we're gonna do it, um, and it was just—it was just a frustrating process. Because I had this kind of like, oh, well, I'm sure it's fine. I'll just do it. But then I just ended up being really stressed out through the whole thing. Um, and it wasn't, and it was not my my IP. So it's Chadwick. It was his story, his script. And I just I did this, you know, for him, with so him. what is your, what all other background do you have in comics? Because, like, mm -hmm. is this, a, you know, the first thing you've written and drawing yourself or like yes really it sure is um so i am a comics editor i've mm -hmm. worked with hope nicholson at bedside press on a ton of projects the biggest one and the most recent one was an anthology called gothic tales of haunted love it um it's a full it's an anthology of all different comic creators and writers but it's all in the same theme and we wrote it based on pitches so it was basically kernels of ideas were thrown at us and we accepted them and we we massaged them from start to finish like that was from pitch to thumbs to pencils to concepts to colors to finals um we did all of that uh so that was a really interesting uh process and i've also worked with independent clients as well on comic scripts i've worked with gregory um on his midnight city series and on infinitum as the editor and that's a completely different perspective as well. And I've actually found that making this comic and doing absolutely everything myself has made me a better comics editor. Um, there's also another book coming out. Uh, it's uh, called Science. Uh, the creators escape me right now, so maybe you want to cut this. <laughs> it's just called Science with an exclamation point. And it's a, it's a great YA uh, original comic, and I was creating Krampus while I was editing it, and actually it changed completely how I edited that project as well. So the other question I have kind of related to that is, what other research did you do in getting ready to do this Krampus uh, idea? So when, you're, when you have, before we get to like some of the specifics of it, mm -hmm. when you have in your head, like, okay, I want to do this, comic it's going to be a web comic it's going to would you print ver copies of it eventually as well mm. um what other things did you do to kind of get prepare yourself for that because that's a massive project to undertake yes um in the beginning i just kind of had this little idea and i didn't actually know if i was going to do it as a web comic i didn't really know what i was going to do with it uh or if i could or if i had the chops because like i said i basically stopped doing art for 10 years i would do like you know, a drawing here or there in a book that I would sign, but nothing serious. Um, I My life was devoted to doing book layout and graphic design and stuff for work. 
Um, so I was kind of nervous that I wasn't going to be able to even hack it, that whatever I was going to make, it wasn't going to turn out the way I wanted because like, you know, with this, with the Mythfits comic, that's just what I was thinking the whole time was like, ugh, I stopped art. Like, how could I, how can I even execute this? So I decided instead I had to prove to myself I could do it. So I drew every single day. I got, I just had a blank sketchbook and I just, I had this, you know, comic idea floating around in my head, which would become Krampus is my boyfriend. And I just started drawing the characters and I would just draw them over and over again. And these drawings were exceptionally shitty and I was drawing in just pen and I was just kind of just trying to put the time in. And the more I drew it and I, the more the story kind of came together for me the more I got my shit together and yeah and just kind of and things just improved and I did that from October to the end of November and I did it while I was on a book tour I was still really committed to just to just going for it and then I decided I just want to get into making the comic now I mean prior to that I've read a ton of comics and not just that, like, web comics. So I'm not really a child of the the Marvel DC, like, superhero stuff. I didn't grow up on it. I didn't consume that. I really was way more into long-form narrative graphic novels and on being a disciple of web comics, like, ever since they kind of started becoming a thing. So that was kind of also why I wanted to release it for free. It was because I had this appetite for comics and there were all these incredible creators out there putting out their stuff for free and it really supercharged me to think I could do that too even though I still don't feel like I have any business calling myself a comic artist even though we're sitting here and there's a comic like well, right the there that the I did is very accomplished like, oh, and if you look at Mythfits and this one like the, the comparison is mm-hmm. there's no comparison you wouldn't yeah. think it was the same artist that's at why all. I don't talk about it well, <laughs> I, lo- I love Chadwick's thing. story but I don't want to point people to it and be like look at what I did well, it, I, not that like that it sucks or anything, but just to say like no, it's I know. a massive difference. Mm-hmm. And even on the simple level, uh, well, not simple level, but even on the level of just the the panel layout, mm-hmm. like you're like in the campus book, you're doing these you know lush, all the pages colored. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it's, I guess there's a couple of questions I have inside of this, but they really boil down to like, why did you make it so hard on yourself? Yeah. Uh, when you, for your first comic, you're doing unusual panels. You're not having any white space. You've got really strange and kind of complicated layouts, even just for um, where you're like the sequencing of dialogue bubbles mm-hmm. uh, often will be very kind of complicated. Plus, you know, you're doing two-page spreads, even though it's a webcomic, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you made a lot of deci- decisions that I guess, um, like, normally a person, I think, would, one, ease into it a bit more, like, they'd spend more time, <laughs> than write, yeah. know, they'd, they'd write comics f- for another artist, mm-hmm. but then down the line be thinking oh maybe I'll, I'll ship my own comic one day mm-hmm. if they weren't as confident on the and the funny sites. thing is like I'm the reverse I would only feel confident illustrating someone else's work if I had done extensively work on my own because I feel like that's my proving ground than going out and but I have like I yeah but why not say I get what you're saying I'm not saying you shouldn't have done this I'm just no no but that's why process. I did the inverse like, yeah but if you're more comfortable as a writer than an illustrator mm-hmm. uh, why the jump to I'll write and illustrate as opposed to I'll write for somebody else and I'll work. I just really wanted to do this project and I just wanted to do it now because I'm kind of of this mind where I'm always talking to other creators about, oh, I put so much time into working on other people's 
things to make my living, but I really want to devote time to my art. Maybe I'll be able to do it someday. And I was just like, I just want to do it now. Like mm-hmm. I, the time is now. And we always kind of get obsessed with this. We have to meet this goalpost, but then we keep moving them on ourselves and then we never get there. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, it's, you have a family, you've retired, you have a novel, for instance, sitting in your desk that you haven't touched in 30 years, and you could have just sit down and finished a draft. I you, tell people this yeah. all the time because uh, what I, people will say, like, oh, you know, I hope to be to write a novel a day, and I'll say, I'll, I'll stop them, I'll be like, okay, well, when that day comes, like, what will you actually do? Like, yeah. how many hours a day will you write? Mm-hmm. How much time will you do? And often, like, what it boils down, if they actually, like, think about the magical world where they won the lottery and could do whatever they want, mm-hmm almost always it's just the actual thing they would do in that scenario is something they could just do now. Yeah. Like, oh, I would write like two hours a day in the morning. Well, you could do that. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> also, if I won the lottery, I'd be writing like 15 hours a day. <laughs> or well, like 10. But most people wouldn't. Like, sure. And even if you've done studies, like once yeah. you hit three or four hours for the average person, like that's the, you might as well just stop. Yeah. Statistically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh, I'm the reverse. If you've hit four hours, why go to sleep? <laughs> Yeah, Why I mean, not just keep I mean, like, For most people, I think there's, yeah. like, the, as you say, there's that goalpost idea. Like, people have this idea that they have to, like, I could only write a novel if I had, you know, all day free or, yeah. or you know. Yeah, or if I had nice. no other commitments. But, I mean, the, with this comic, I'm still working full time. Mm-hmm. I put all that time and all those hours into it, but I still have a job. I have clients. And I'm doing the comic for free. Like, I'm not making an income on it yet. I mean, I'm just starting to because I literally just started a Patreon yeah. and I opened up pre-orders. But, Amen. You're sinking money into it. And I've already, yes, right? exactly. So, and I've already spent over $2,000 on printing it. Full disclosure, because no one ever talks yeah. about self-publishing cost. Um, yeah, I've, I, but I'm just like really in it. I just want to do it. And I'm just tired of, I'm tired of advising people to just do it and then not following my own, my own advice. And I've been wanting to make a comic for a really long time. That was mine. And, but I just kept saying, I'm not good enough. And I, my drawing, like acumen has improved in three months. Yes. Massive improvement. Because I'm just doing it all the time. Uh, and imagine how much you could improve by just doing writing all the time or like how much you could get done if you just did that one thing a little bit. I just get up early and I work on it and then I stop when I have other work to do and then I get back into it when I have more time. This podcast is actually a thing like that for me where I wanted mm-hmm. to do it for so many years and I never did it. I kept thinking, oh, what if I, you know, I got to learn this, I got to do that. And, you know, it's got to be perfect. Yeah. Right. And eventually I got, I was like, I'm just going to fucking do a podcast. It costs like 30 bucks for a microphone or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, it won't be great, but I'll just do it. Mm-hmm. And then like, I'll learn to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you, I think that um, you, you just learn by doing so much faster. Oh, and yeah. It's hard, though, to put yourself out there. Like, you know, because you could do this comic and not publish it. Like, yeah. That's another option, right? Yeah. But like, um, publishing is a whole other level of, say, one investment financially as mm-hmm. you say in this example like um but even putting up for free and not printing anything you'd be investing the time right you, yeah you know you got the opportunity cost of not making money in that time yeah or just like you know you're not spending not doing this not doing that but then there's like um also just the investment of uh it's just like an anxiety producing thing on some level to put like work out there when you um, even if it's really good, maybe just, you know, aren't sure about it, mm-hmm. right? Like, 
but then it's the other side of it, I think, which is just you never become more comfortable mm-hmm. uh, if you don't put the stuff out there. Like, I, I always tell my creative writing students, like, the first thing you should do is just get a website and start publishing on the website. Yeah. And they always, like, balk at it. They're like, well, I can't do that because, you know, one, you know, they'll burn all their material. I'm like, yeah, sure, but you you got to learn that there's more material. Yeah. <laughs> you got to learn that there's, like, if you screw it up, you'll just come up with another idea. You'll do that instead. Yeah, and again, that's that romantic idea of, oh, there's I only have one great novel that I'm ever going to write. And it's like, I've got a trunk of novels, like 16 that like or whatever, that are not published yet. I don't know if they ever will be. I got them out of my system so I can move on to the next thing uh, because there just is always going to be something else. Um, and this this comic project, the way I've planned it, it's going to be a long commitment. Uh, I really want to get three issues out a year which is super lofty goal if they're all if they're 40 pages each that's 120 pages that's a lot of time a lot of work and I don't know what my I don't know what's going to happen this year I'm just going to do my best um but you know I have like 10 issues planned so that's going to be three years where I am kick killing it to do that so this process and a process thing so when you say you have 10 issues planned like what do you mean by that like what is the actual planning that you've done. Mm-hmm. So I have, uh, <laughs> this podcast is called Writing the Wrong Way, and that's how I did this. <laughs> so, well, most people, if they're going to do yeah. like a comic like this, they wouldn't make it so hard on themselves. Like, they would I know. have normal panel breakdowns. I blah, know. Blah, blah. But the thing is that I'm creating a comic that I want to see. And uh, I don't know if any of your listeners or if you have interacted with the app Webtoon, but that is a it's a it's a platform that is incredible space for web comics. It's enormous. Uh, I love everything on there. It's all formatted. It's comics formatted in a different way because they're meant to be read on your phone. But these some of these are long form, high fantasy. They can be very complex, very beautiful. Um, these artists are going crazy in this medium. And with that in my mind, I want to be able to do that with the print comic medium as well as the web comic medium. So what you, when you pointed out that, oh, you know, Sam, you, why are you doing two-page spreads when you have a web comic? And I, I think I was talking to Gregory about this. But the way I've set up the comic and the way I plan each page is that each page is at one single encapsulated moment that starts at the top and finishes at that bottom corner. It'll lead into the next page, but it's set up that way because it's a webcomic. So you can consume the one page and you get that encapsulated moment and it leads into the next. On the two-page spreads, they're the same. On a, on a traditional two-page spread, the whole thing is happening across two pages at once. But in my two-page spreads, they're happening one page at a time. But the spreads just lock together in a composition. Like you wouldn't read the top, one top edge to the other edge. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to describe in audio. Well, you can go look at it on but, the webcomic. Yeah. Like she actually puts up the two-page spreads also. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a good idea for the record. But I think it's the kind of thing most people want to do. And, uh, and for good reasons. Yeah. But I think, like, my philosophy of it, again, the writing of the wrong phase, <laughs> yeah. my philosophy is that you, sh- you need to find ways to stand out from, like, you need to, like, look at what other people are doing mm-hmm. and find a way to, like, do something that stands out. Yeah. And I think that... Or like, that just makes you happy, it. like, when you're doing it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, standing, like, don't, I wouldn't, I think my advice would be don't spend a ton of time being like, how can I be different from this person, this person, this person? I think it's more that I like what this person does. I'm going to take aspects of all of those different things and I'm going to put that in mine because I love those things. And that's actually what will propel you to finishing. 
So a big thing about this project is I do make it really, really hard on myself. And it's very complex and it's a fantasy comic. And there's going to be a lot of fight scenes and stuff, which is going to be so much fun. Um, but it's what I want to see. And I just and I want to I just want to do it. And I'm so excited about it. And that's the only reason that has gotten me up out of my bed at seven in the morning and down at this desk drawing is that I just want to see it right now. Netflix, buy the rights. Um, <laughs> but as far as like planning out those issues, I basically have, I've planned three seasons. The whole, I've planned the whole story. Well, what does arc. that mean? Have you written a document that plans it? Like what is the planning? Yes, what yes, is the planning? yes. So I have a document. It is a, it is a story document of the very, and it's broken down. There's a short summary. And then you get into like a longer summary for each part. You have to break it down into chunks because you have to keep, you have to go macro and then you have to go micro when you're doing something like this. I know exactly what's going to happen in every in all three seasons. And I know exactly what's going to happen in every single issue. And you have to just get smaller and smaller and smaller, like, per each part. way I started this is I knew what the story idea was. I wrote that down. And I just have been expanding it as I'm going, as I'm drilling down further and further. Basically, I... I'll just, I don't know. It's really hard to explain. It's just like that question, where do your ideas come from? Um, but it's- Well, in this case, they're coming from the document, though, like on a certain level, right? Like you're drilling, you're putting them in a form of, where I, you're expanding them out of that. Yes, yes. I mean, in my head, I see emotional pinpoint scenes, and I'll just write down a note about that. Or I'll see a dialogue scene and I'll write down that dialogue and I'll just have a ton of disparate pieces and then I just start putting them together in a sequence and then I'll just go through and edit it so that it's so consistent. Now when you're at the point where you're actually producing a panel, so I or, have a or script. not a panel, but say a, a page. Yeah. So you're going to produce a page now. Now at, by that point, do you have that page scripted? Or? Yes. So I will have a script but I am also laying out the type as well, and I will change it as I'm putting it on the page from what is written in the script. So. But you're kind of moving from like, here's the broad overview. Yeah, here's my Word document. document, and it says it has all the dialogue that I want on that page. And it has, um, and I've seen a lot of script writers do it differently, where they will literally, they will write in such detail like it's an establishing shot of the house and the house looks like this and this is in the yard and there's a dog barking in the background and um, the door is open I'm not doing that because I'm already in my own head about it it's very basic it's like establishing shot of Olga's house <laughs> like night so exactly you to give the directions in the same way. exactly however um, I have everyone does it differently and my advice when you're working with an artist is to give your artist breathing room like don't like the when you're kind of some writers will write it's a long panel that takes up one third of the page or it's cascading panels that do this work with the artist because especially if the artist you're working with is very experienced um, they can bring a ton to the table. And I wrote a script for Gothic Tales called Heritage of Woods. And I worked with um, a creator, Maya Kobabi, and they were amazing. And they were so experienced. And they had all of these great art direction suggestions that I just went with them. Because they knew what they were talking about. I just kind of threw this script together. And what they came out with was like incredibly beautiful and complex. And 
but I went out of my way not to be like this panel, this panel, this panel, and this has to happen in this panel. I let them just kind of go with it and said, this is what happens on the page. And this is the dialogue that goes into it. And we're being visited by sound, a dog. I was just going to say, those sloppy like, <laughs> sounds are, yeah. are the dog, yeah. not like either of us eating a banana or something. Sophie, um, you don't want to be on this pod. You didn't write anything. She just bothered me sure throughout the whole process. Um, I, I, I mean, I agree with uh, that idea of panel breakdowns being kind of an over doing it in a mm-hmm. script like I know that's conventional to write it is and, and there script, are some but... writers who are like oh my vision is my vision and it has to be executed in that way then you have to hire someone who is willing to just take marching orders um the writer artist uh relationship should be that and it should be like kind of about give and take they also um the artist uh they also had suggestions on the script and I took them <laughs> it's like yeah that sounds legit. That sounds reasonable. That sounds like that would fit better on a different page. So when I am developing the script and I go through it, I just kind of do rough notes like this text has to go in this panel. But it would be different if, say, you didn't know who the artist was. Like mm-hmm. if you're selling it to Marvel or something and they're going to hire an artist later. Like mm-hmm. If you're in like those situations, then obviously that kind of thing would make more sense. But because you're oh, drawing yeah. yourself... You yeah. are still scripting it though. Like, I am, yeah. To some degree. Yeah, than... I'm. I do. I do give myself a roadmap because if I didn't, that would be even worse on myself. Uh, so I have, I have this. I know what's going to go into every issue. Um, but what I'm started doing now, and my process has changed wildly as I'm doing this, is that I will do. I will put down all the text on the page first, and I'll move it around, and I'll maybe add text, and then I'll start playing around with what panels go where. Sort of storyboarding. Sort of, yeah. I don't thumb anymore. I go right into pencils. Like I, you know, I know where people are going to be standing in the panel, and I just kind of try to make my pencils as tight as possible. When you go into, when I go into inks, um, I'm almost, I'm editing it. I'm art editing it as I'm doing the inks, so I don't have to do that really rough stage, and so I'm saving myself time there. But that again comes with, with experience. But um, every single every single panel is a drawing on its own individual basis that can be moved around and easily resized. And there are times when I will lay out all of the text onto a page. And in the script, I'll have stretched it out over three pages. But then I'm like, oh, no, actually, this could just be one or two. And I end up cutting back pages as I'm in the process. So I don't really get, again, I'm very flexible and I don't really get too precious with the plan. I basically just look at the page, how is the art and the writing serving each other and can I make it more visually either appealing or efficient. What are some things that have surprised you about that process? Like when, when you start, because you, even though you've done, you know, it's not the person you've drawn. Mm, well, like, I guess. But, like, <laughs> but even so, like it's probably the most ambitious thing you've done like mm-hmm. in terms of artwork and uh, and like in terms of comics at least mm-hmm. um, and what surprised you about the process of doing it either in terms of like literally like the process of putting it together or even just in terms of the experience of it all I'm surprised that I finished yeah <laughs> I am absolutely 100% surprised that I have followed through like actually not even finished that I actually said I was going to do it and I didn't I did it and I that, that is what kind of has blown me away <laughs> Why do you think that because you've written like you just wrote like a hundred 
30,000 page word novel or something. Yeah, sure. Like, but like, but like, it's a novel again. I no. feel like, again, it's a, I finish things, but this finisher, is a, so. I am now, <laughs> but that it's taken me so long to do it. Number one is kind of a big indicator uh, to just let myself do it. And a big thing when I was just kind of developing characters and environments and story was I just kept saying to myself, you're allowed to be shitty. There is nothing wrong with being shitty. It's what matters is that you have this story to tell and you just do it. And I don't know why in this comic medium that I just felt so stressed out. I think a big thing is that it's consumed differently than a novel is. You publish a novel and there's a certain gravitas and a certain credibility and, oh, you wrote this big lofty thing and you're making me hallucinate vividly about these worlds that you did. But when you're drawing it, you're literally showing and you're telling and it's, there's so much more going on. There's so many incredible artists out there. And it, it becomes like a like a ultra inception layers of, of just comparing yourself to so many other people, but then worrying that it's so easily consumed that people will readily judge it so much faster <laughs> and criticize it so much uh, quicker. I don't know. Also, I just, in yeah. a weird way, comparing yourself to like, like if you were to say compare yourself to mm-hmm. I don't know, a standard comic you pick up, you're actually like it's one person versus like five people. Yes, yeah. <laughs> right, because yeah. like the writer, the artist, the inker, all that. The stuff. letterer, yeah. The letterer, and so it's, it's an unfair comparison in a, in a broad sense. Sure, but like the uh, the average person picking it up, mm-hmm. it won't know that. Exactly. Won't know those things. Only I will, or fellow comic makers. And again, like I'm also at this point where I have this 48 page comic. That is now, it's being printed, it's being produced, but I'm still like, I'm not a comic artist. I'm not there yet. And I've done yeah. it. Because yeah. it's actually like, it's, it's quite accomplished and complicated art. Thanks. You know, I mean, I'm not an artist, so I guess I couldn't like drill down to tell you all the things wrong with it and say my Oh, artist, I could. But I won't. Uh, but, you know, but there is obvious ways in which it's, you know, strong. Uh, and I think that it, um, I have a lot of like really, I think it's a really interesting um, comic. When I'm holding the proof and I'm looking at the first issue, so those 41 pages as a group, as opposed to looking at, say, the webcomic page mm-hmm. by page. When you look at it as a group, there's a lot of like really interesting sort of things you can notice about it. Um, one thing I thought was interesting was how you have this cold open. So you, you have this, this cold open of sorts where uh, the story kind of, starts in, in the middle of middle an action things, scene yeah in an action scene so there's a lot of things that are interesting about that opening so one you have like this uh, classic like aristotelian like in the middle <laughs> of things opening yeah you know and then we kind of flash back to you know before yeah um so you establish the monstrosity like the, the monstrous krampus yeah as, <laughs> like a threat slash like a villain villain yeah. slash you know, some sort of, like, her, her boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also, you you, you do some really simp- nice little setups, which I think are interesting and easy to miss. Like, she has this ring on, which, you know, later on we kind of see her find the ring, you know. That's in the, the first, flashback, In yeah. the flashback. And then later on we kind of see, like, the qualities of this ring and how it ties to Krampus. But, like, she's wearing the ring, and also as she's wearing the ring, she, like, rips, like... A fence apart. fence apart. Yeah. And so it, it's... It's a really quick, simple establishment of like, okay, this person has like this usual power mm-hmm. and you highlight the ring. Like there's a lot of really subtle things going in it. And I think it's it's the kind of thing that of course you couldn't you literally couldn't do that kind of 
you know, flash forward or whatever you want to call it and flash back mm-hmm. if you hadn't had that kind of plan. Yeah. Because you couldn't just, you just literally couldn't set things up in that same yeah. way. Yeah. Um, um, That's actually, that scene is the, is the finale of season one. So it's like I already knew how all, or not, yeah, season one. So I knew how everything was going to roll out. So I was like, well, I might as well start at the end. In terms of a webcomic, where you want somebody to be, like they're reading it serially, uh, in effect, Mm -hmm. um, and you want to grab attention very quickly, uh, here's a great way to grab some attention. Yeah. Like, here's the kind of thing that's coming. It's like the promise to the readers. Like, I promise we'll get here. I know that she's just working in a bookstore right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know she's just like hanging out with her friends and the girl's being mean to her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And what's important is like this story is like, it's a fantasy comic and you know, it's, and it's funny, we jumped into this and I didn't really talk about what it's about. So yeah. yeah. (laughs) So it's basically, it takes place in small town Canada in this, in the town of Prairie Crest that I just, that I invented. Um, And this girl, Olga, uh, she's just going into 11th grade, goes to a private school. She has like, you know, her own misfit friends, but there are these assholes at school that treat her like crap. And there's this new kid who's just arrived and he's actually a, a web flicks star like a Netflix parody um, and he's moved into town and now he's going to the school and he's kind of in the friend group of the people who are you know telling like making fun of Olga and she just on a whim is at a sleepover and she's complaining about the fact that this guy sucks and now he's also bought her Baba's bookstore and she thought originally he was making fun of her but no he's actually bought it and so everything is suck it just sucks and she- one of her friends, who is a German exchange student, suggests she summon Krampus to deal with her problems. And they're just kids. And so as a joke, they're like, yeah, let's do this ritual. And But it, oh, it turns out that he has been imprisoned outside of Prairie Crest for a very long time and that it works. And the ring that she has found is actually his. And so she gets kind of tangled up in having to have him in her life now. And he has to, you know, follow her around and he has to go to school and integrate into her life and he moves into her house and it's just very frustrating, but it's basically, it's a very character-driven story. So for this first issue, it was kind of like a prologue issue where I'm introducing all of Olga's conflicts and her life problems and she's just a normal person and she has normal issues and now she has this other wrench thrown into it, which is this demon who she accidentally summoned and who also acts like a teenager as well um, but actually has no concept of how people relate to one another but he has to fit in to make it work and at the same time we've got the setup of you know this entity they call the crimson crow we get mm-hmm. this like society sort of teased on one page yeah and there's all sorts of, like other again other setups you're doing yeah. this early thing where you're planting yeah. You know, stuff I guess we'll we'll get to later. Um, We're gonna get to it like on the first page of the next issue. Sure. Well, yeah. Great. But, but, well, but well, you've well, got great. like <laughs> you've got that like structure very clean mm-hmm. in the sense of there's a start and an end that makes sense in this 41 page comic. Mm-hmm. It's got a cliffhanger so the end. It's got a you know, big opening start. Yeah. It's got like a lot of the setups you would expect in like you say the first issue or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it i would think about it like an episode of a show mm-hmm. if you watch anime that's kind of the the plot structure that the way that they do every single encapsulated episode it's similar to what i'm doing here so every comic issue is one episode how'd you come up with a couple like how'd you come up with things like when a character appears for the first time often they get these little stat sheets yeah kind of gives their name and 
you know, yeah. their likes and their dislikes and things. Yeah. So where'd you come up with like, that particular idea? Um, I've seen it used in, in quite a few comics, especially, uh, and just kind of narrative stuff that deals with like D&D sort of modules uh, because like I'm really interested in tabletop gaming. And everything is kind of framed. Those little stat sheets are written on like a piece of loose leaf you'd tear out of your binder or something like, you know, if you, I don't know if you watch Mean Girls, like and they have a burn book, which is just like has stats on people and like stupid stuff that they've done. And I just also thought it was just a really visually interesting way to just you get a character right away and what they're mm-hmm. what things that they like like my favorite my favorite character <laughs> and I love him and he's going to get so much more play um is Benny uh Benny Chalmers he's like he's in the friend group it's like it's all girls and then Benny and he's just like everyone says that he's too pure like he's too pure for dislikes but he really likes gossip and uh I just and he his he makes his appearance by just running up to people with a literally like a gossip magazine to tell them that this new kid has come to school and um I mean, it should speak for itself that he's running towards them with a magazine and what his personality is. But his little dislike thing is just question mark, question mark, question mark. Too pure for dislikes. Yeah, it's um, great. It's, it's great. As you say, a great little character intro, almost like a quick character sketch. Yeah, here are the stats. Here yeah. The, I mean, I thought of it like as a stat sheet. And, and, it's, and the other thing I was just sort of thinking on a technical level, what was interesting to me is just in terms of comics, you talked about it a little bit already, but like, how do you figure out where to put the text? Mm-hmm. You, I guess, as you say, you're kind of doing that first. Yeah, I mean, there are certain principles that you do have to really keep in your mind with comic layout that doesn't have anything to do with like your style. There are certain rules that I am like still maintaining. Um, well, sort of, but like when you have a panel uh, and you're putting down text, the first text bubble should be on the left side for a comic that's set up to be read left to right and that character should be on that same side because that usually will make your layout a lot um a lot less complex and when i started out i didn't really adhere to those rules and it made it hard on me so when i went into edits um when i was doing the art edits before print i made sure that everything was a lot more clear and read a lot better than from what the original was and made sure like text size was consistent because for some of them they weren't. Um, but yeah, it's just readability has become a thing that I'm really, really trying to drill down on better. That's a major thing I'm trying to improve for like who's talking and when, especially in there's a bunch of scenes. There's like eight characters in that one scene where they're at school. That was frustrating and exhausting. What you use like um, when the character's not even really there? On the, yeah, I have to use like a little letter. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting like workaround. Uh, I find a lot of art is often these workarounds in terms mm-hmm. of like thinking about how do I best reveal the information mm-hmm. and withhold information. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Like it, I, I often think of writing as a sort of form of information management. In, yeah, in because you have to keep it all in. Mm-hmm. You don't have to put it out now. And that's a people have a real hard time with that. When oh, I yeah. like, you know teach younger writers as, or even older writers, but like like you know kind of less experienced writers like. They have this tendency of they just want to dump all this information out mm-hmm. and like well the fun one, thing about the information exactly two, like, now where's the suspense and the interest generated and by it, yeah and it's kind of like what's most important for you to get across right now because you'll it'll get lost in all of this info yeah like in that there's one page in this issue where uh i, I kind of referenced it briefly there where like the, you know there's one page it stands apart it, it's kind of in a different 
layout and style than mm-hmm. the other stuff we've been seeing. It's these characters we haven't seen before. Yeah. At that point, they don't appear again. Yeah. We get a bunch of terms thrown at us. Like, it's the suggestion that there's an organization called the Verso and mm-hmm. this artificer character who's like sent a briar mage after somebody else. We don't know any of those things mean. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like and then point. it's just like, it's and like, we're on a bus again. <laughs> but that's, and, and I think a yeah. lot of people, uh, they, they, they issue all that stuff in like an over-explaining way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you don't, but really like we don't need to understand anything at all except that, oh, these people exist. That's, yeah, uh, that was the whole point of that page. Like, yeah. Well, who are these people? Well, I'll, that's something for later. Like, yeah. Like, the whole point of that, like a page like that on on, a, on one level mm-hmm. is just like, here's a bunch of stuff that also is in this world. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, keep it in mind. <laughs> so when it shows yeah. up later, like, yeah. it matters. Um, yeah. And um, that page actually was not in the script. I just, mm-hmm. uh, I had the scene in my head one day and I just started playing around with it as a page. And then I was like, you know, this would be a good transition between... It's the scene where Olga is at school and she just kind of, she hits her her mass, like critical mass, and she like tries to throw a dirt ball at someone, but it hits the super hot Netflix guy. And she, like, she's just like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to run away now. And there was this point between that and her after school. And I needed to have something kind of to bridge the gap. And I was like, well, if I were writing this as a novel, I would write a cutscene about the villains. But that's just the first thing that came to my mind. But I really didn't want to, like you said, I didn't want to over-explain what was going on. So I was like, yeah, I have to keep it to one page. And the end of the page has to be a transition panel that is out of this little, like, organization. And it's actually not very many panels. It's five panels, I think, for that one page. And it is a lot of, it's a lot of text. It's this, the head of this organization, the Verso, briefing this woman about her mission and it's the first time we actually get a mention of Krampus aside from the huge opening um, prologue Um, so it's like all right I have established now that there is another organization that has also moved in to this town and this is their target because right after this next scene they're going to be they're going to summon him they're going to try to fake summon this demon and oh whoops it does turn out that he's here which is what these villains suggested um, so I really wanted to just set up that conflict, and to, but to not give it all away, but to also be like, there's other stuff happening. It's not just normal mundane stuff. Yeah, and the world is bigger than it seems. Yeah. We'll get into it later, but like, you know, it's bigger than it seems. Is this, you know, here's some questions you can have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. But uh, it's also like, I don't care what your questions are right now. I just want to mm-hmm. move forward. Um, it's important to have those questions, right? Like at the early... In, in a first issue, if you want to think mm-hmm. of it that way, but like, or in the early like stages of webcomic, like you, you want to be planting mm-hmm. um, like reasons to read it, <laughs> like reasons yeah. to keep reading, right? And like a threat, like because mm-hmm. what's the thing is about this comic and is scale. that yeah, um, is that Krampus isn't the villain. He is he is just kind of like he's an anti-hero, kind of is forced to become a protagonist. Uh, he doesn't really have much play in this issue except when he gets um, just in this little, like, dream sequence, and then when he is released, and then when he finally meets up with Olga right at the very end. Um, but he's just kind of like a fish-out-of-water type who just causes a lot of problems. Uh, and the whole point of the comic is that you are you follow him on his emotional growth as he's just trying to, just like any other teenager, he's just trying to figure out who he is and, you know, make friends, have a life, and all of these things that he never really thought he would because he's a he's a demon. 
Um, and I just kind of represent him more as like he's like a teenager ar- archetype um, himself. So he's not really the villain. And I wanted to kind of have people right at the offset be like, oh, but there are these other people. Why are they after him? And um, should they catch him? And I hope not because he's really like, I hope people like him. when Because he's going to get more into it. Um, but yeah, but it's tough because like, I want, I know exactly what his character trajectory is and I want to have more about him, but it's like, it's not the time yet. It's literally going to be the rest of the comic, like just calm down and rein it in. So that has been a lot. Um, but yeah. Well, if people should, you know, if you listen to this, you know, go check out campusesmyboyfriend.com and, uh, you know, it, it's, again, it's, uh, how many pages a week are you putting up now? Three? I'm putting up two, but two I'm pages. making three a week. Sure. That's smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's smart. But we have two pages a week. You go out live on crapsismyboyfriend.com. Um, you should sign up to her, her mailing list, like I say, so they, you know, they can get sent to you. Uh, you can, of course, um, when stuff is out like this, the, the, you know, the physical mm-hmm. issues, she can tell you about it. And uh, if you would uh, participate in my Patreon, you actually get to see the pages before they're put online. Oh, yes. That's another great reason to be doing extra pages. Sure is. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let me ask you just one, one or two last questions, if you don't mind. Which oh, yeah. Is, so, which are just kind of broader questions about doing a webcomic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one is a simple, it's not a simple question, but it's a, it's the big problem question that mm-hmm. all artists have, which is like, what are you doing to, other than like a podcast like this, mm-hmm. like what are you doing to like make people aware that this thing exists? Because I find like that's a big problem that mm-hmm. a lot of writers slash artists have. Is like, how do you move people from not knowing you exist to knowing you exist, like that marking level of it. Because it's very easy to say, I think a lot of people will say like, well, you know, I'm putting the comic out for free online as marketing. But that's not marketing. Right? No, that's just <laughs> that's, pr- that's just placement, yeah. And then you got to market to get people to see that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the same time, like your focus is making this thing. Your focus sure. isn't to be like sure. driving people to it all the time. So I guess my question is sort of like, as somebody who kind of does some, to some degree does stuff like this for, you know, your... Like as part of your working life mm-hmm. um, for yourself and for other people, like what do you suggest to people who maybe don't have a ton of time for marketing? They're trying to focus primarily on their, you know, work, mm-hmm. but they still like have that problem of, you know, say, how do I get people to know I exist? <laughs> yeah. Um, so social media, uh, that is like my number one thing. Um, my number one platform for just promo in general is Twitter. Um, I usually say to people who are feeling really overwhelmed, about being like a content person on social media is just pick one platform and just do it well. Um, You have to always remember to be doing it in a way where people are getting something back for you in return for you telling people constantly, I have this thing, I have this thing. Whether that's like an insight or like a sketch that you did or um, like pages themselves. And again, you have to do it in a way that is not pepper spraying them. So you're just incessantly being like, pay money for me. But here's the issue that I have with this. Like, I'm uh-huh. going to push back on this a little bit <laughs> mm-hmm. because I've, this is a, pro- a challenge that I'm having. Um, I look at, like, say, a social media feed, and I don't see that as marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason is that um, somebody has to know you exist. Yeah. So you, so well, I'm you, basically, let me, like, kind of backpedal, though. I'm not saying. You, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying, like, no. how do you even get to people to the point where they even know you're on social media? 
Well, the, see, the thing is that I'm, I wouldn't say go out of your way to just suddenly start on Twitter <laughs> and just out of nowhere. Um, like building up those followings prior to that and spending time on building your brand in general. Like also have a website. Like have a website. That is like your number one main thing to be focused on because you want to be driving people somewhere. Um, but I mean, yeah, so I'm a novel writer. So it's kind of like, yeah, I have a following on Twitter already, but I have to kind of now um, – I've people who are interested in my books and now I have to be like, but I make a comic now. That is a different thing. Mm. And um, I'm just, yeah, I'm just consistently, I'm talking about it. I'm saying that I'm like, I, and it's like, oh, I'm working on it or I'm producing it. Um, yeah. So this that is. This podcast is an interesting example because mm-hmm. like, to me, it, it, this is an example. To me, this is, you're doing marketing <laughs> yeah. on a level in the sense that like I have, you know, an audience that, maybe doesn't know who you are. Mm-hmm. So like some of them do, some of them don't, but like now they know who you are because mm-hmm. they heard this. Yeah. But when I started this podcast, I was initially thinking, well, maybe it could be a marketing on some level, but I don't think it is marketing for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think for me it's content because you don't, if you don't know, there's no way that like this podcast is getting you to know I exist unless they're happening to be Googling your name, like putting it into the podcast. But you, and your show notes, are you, I mean, it's on but your it's website. Really, yeah. But it's content from the point of view of like, sure. If they, so like, so that's fine. Like, so I just have Marketing just, in general is like what you're saying is like awareness is you're yeah. making people aware of the thing, but it's also that the end result of it is to drive people to do something. So mm-hmm. my day job, segue full disclosure, is that I am working <laughs> well, in corporate this- social media right now for yeah. a television network, a network that puts out a ton of content, like a ton of content. Um, and I specifically just work for their Facebook like team. Um, so like that whole thing is every single post has to be driving to something, a tune in, a promotion, a giveaway, like anything. It has to be engaging the people who are reading it and they are not shy because they are a large corporation about repetitive messaging and about posting 12 times a day. My mm-hmm. job is to manage those schedules, those post schedules, and I and I see it like firsthand. Um, you know, they're putting out fifty posts a week on one Facebook page, and every single post is planned per day and approved by three different people on the corporate level, um, so that the brand is consistent. It's a ton of time and money, and that's just on Facebook. They have teams for Pinterest and for Twitter and for Instagram, and they're engaging all these different demographics and audiences, and they're very focused on drilling down on specific messaging for specific age groups and on times. Like there are prime time posting spots. There are, we want to get it in front of people like first thing they see. So we put it up at three in the morning. Like they're all, they're they're putting in a ton of thing, ton of time and money into that. But again, they're driving to something specific. So on the much smaller scale Mm -hmm. that you or I are doing, we are driving to our demo because that's who, and our demo, by that I mean, are people who are already following us because they already know us or they're our friends or et cetera. Um, and, but I'm doing it in a ton of different places. I'm do, I have a Facebook author page. I have a main website that I send newsletters out through. I go to conventions. That, so that was the, yeah. So that was the other thing is that, um, so we talked about things we do in the digital space to engage mm-hmm. with people without leaving your house. 
I also leave my house and leave my city a ton and I go to comic conventions where I will have a table and I will stand behind the table and I will talk to human beings with a big display that I have invested a ton of money into developing promotional materials for, shipping the books there, and I don't have people helping me out at the table. It's just me behind the table because it's my items that are my brand and I am my brand. People are buying an experience with me when they purchase a book or they purchase now a comic. And that was a big reason why I wanted to have a physical comic. I want people to follow the webcomic and I want them to read it for free. But I'm going to go to a convention and I'm not going to hand out a postcard because that's not going to be the best way to get them there. It's I have a comic and it's $20 and I'm going to see if people actually are interested in enough to buy it. And that will drive me to keep going and to develop a following around it. Um, like I said, Webtoon is probably the biggest place where people are discovering comics right now. But if I were to migrate my comic to Webtoon, I would not be able to give it away for free. I would not be able to even issue anything about it on my Patreon. Really? Um, mm. You would generate an income from it, though, um, depending mm. on your readers. It's a very, It's a very interesting platform, and I love it a lot. And I... <laughs> I use it a ton. Um, I've discovered so many great comics through it, but I wouldn't be able to keep giving it away if I were to move it to that platform. And I originally was going to start out on Webtoon, but I really wanted to have full control over it as I was developing it. Um, But yeah, marketing is, it is all about having that good, rich content. And it's a weird Achilles heel of a lot of artists because it's a lot of time focused on it. No. You know, but you do have to put time into it. You have to think it. about it, and you have to put time into it, as you say. And, yeah. and also, I think a lot of things that artists think are marketing are marketing. <laughs> yeah. Like, in a weird sort of way, which isn't, you know, good or bad. It, I think it's just it's a weird sort of world to be in where, on one hand, you have people undervalue doing things live. Like, just mm-hmm. you walk over there and, like, yeah. show somebody a comic. You yeah. know, uh, it's... You know, it, it's beautiful and colorful, and you could, you know, hold it in front of a person, and even if they don't care about your comic, now they're talking to you, and maybe they're interested in your novels or something like. Mm-hmm. I think there's all sorts of ways in which it's an interesting thing to do, and uh, I really like how it turned out. Like, I'm a big fan of this comic. Oh, thank I, you. I think I've told this to you before, but like when I heard you were doing this comic, I'm like, that doesn't interest me at all. Yeah. <laughs> but then I was like, I saw, I was like, out of curiosity, like checked it out and I was like because the title is really cool mm-hmm. I was like, but I don't care about Krampus yeah. or anything but I was like really interested and I thought the first like, like I, I got hooked by that cold open thing oh, so thanks. you released like multiple pages at once I did I, I released the first seven pages yeah which was really smart yeah and, and it was that whole sort of sequence that just kind of grabbed your attention and then you flashed back yeah and um, I thought that was so anyway it hit me and I thought it was very clever and um, I think Sam's also got you know his the business BFF. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're on hiatus, stuff. but. <laughs> yeah, so the, the last kind of question I just have for you is just the, the broad one of like, what would you suggest to somebody who was thinking of doing a webcomic like, mm-hmm. or just a comic? And they were, but they were just, they didn't know where to start. They, they just, for whatever reason, they haven't done it. Yeah. Uh, but it's in their head. Mm-hmm. I would just kind of, I really liked the way that I did it, um, where I just sat down and just drew the characters and I drew the world that they inhabited and it just got me excited to start and it also just proved to me that I had the commitment and the desire to see it through because that's a a big thing that um, people just can't 
they really have that excitement. Um, they don't real, and I didn't realize how much work it's going to take for you to get there. But if you can maintain that through it, then you're in it for the long run. And you really have to prove that to yourself before you prove anything to anyone else. Well, thanks so much for talking to me. And uh, go check out CrampusIsMyBoyfriend.com and uh, SMBeco. Is it also .com? Yes. Why do you do the SMBeco, by the way? Oh, that was just some lofty, I want to be J.R.R. Tolkien, yeah. I want to be J.K. Rowling uh, thing. And it's just, it's actually easier to put it on a... It also just kind of just sounds like Sam. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. It's yeah. Kind of, it looks pretty um, ambitious. Oh, thanks. I don't know. I like it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm just always curious when I see like initials and other things. Yeah. Um, and, well, thanks again. Again, check out counselmyboyfriend.com and Sam's uh, online everything. Uh, she's S-M-B-C-O, uh, D-E-I-K-O. Uh, and also, again, if you go to jontheblog.com slash 33 or just you know, writingtherongway.com, you'll get all the show notes and all the information uh, about Sam Biko. Thanks and for having thanks me. Again, and uh, enjoy Krampus Knocked when it does come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>